Ahoy! Welcome to the Jolly Reader. I'm your host, Captain Book. We made it to episode two of The Girl in the Picture by Alexandra Monier. Today, we're going to talk about parts two and three. We're going to finish the entire book. So first, I want to thank you all for listening and coming back, and I hope you enjoyed episode one, and I'm excited to have you here to finish the journey of this book. If you haven't listened to episode one, go back and listen so you know what's going on. Not much really happened, but I'm going to give a quick summary of last episode so we can kind of see where we left off. Chase is dead and a ghost and wants to find his killer. Nicole is a violinist that is suspected of his murder because they were in love and she has a scar. Lana was his actual girlfriend who's super popular, attractive, but only on the outside. And she has mommy issues. Nicole has a scar. Lana and Chase's parents are congresspeople and want them to date. There was a meteor shower party where Lana and Nicole became friends and Chase and Lana started getting together. Chase is a ghost. Nicole's a girl in the picture found in Chase's pocket and TMZ decided to blast it all over. There's some sort of scandal going on in Brooklyn involving Chase. Nicole has a scar in case you forgot. There's a New Year's Eve party at Lana's family home and she's jealous of Nicole. Nicole meets Chase's parents and they say that she made up the whole relationship. There's a bloody kitchen knife found in Nicole's room. Nicole is under a bridge when she hears someone call her name. Wow, that wasn't as fast of a summary as I thought it was going to be. But there you go, that's where we left, last left off. So what we have to look forward to in parts two and three are more ghost sightings, unfortunately, a car accident, two sweaters, several unexpected death threats, and a murder. A murderer. And a murderer. Obviously, there's already been a murder. Okay, as I suspected, part two, called Nicole and Chase, they switched the roles. So Lana is speaking in present day, and Nicole is talking in the past, being their junior year. Chapter 12, Lana, October 27th, 2016. It starts with Lana's mom telling her that Nicole is the lead suspect in the investigation and the investigators are just getting their ducks in a row before they arrest her. Lana says to the audience, if I did do it, no one would know with Nicole being the distraction. So we're not really sure why she would feel that way. I just thought that was kind of weird. Like, are we trying to point in Lana's direction now? I don't know. Anyways, Lana talks about the picture being leaked by TMZ, and when it was first leaked, she was worried that people would think that Chase and Nicole were really in love, and she describes it as ew, which is weird, a weird reaction. She was worried people would think they were really in love. They told her they were in love, so I don't know why she's like doubting their feelings for each other when they sat her down and told her which we know previously, but they talk about it more in depth in this next section. So we know that she knows they're in love. And just the ill description is funny to me. I don't know. She just says that, you know, basically Chase is too hot and cool for nerdy, frizzy haired Nicole. They actually don't talk about Nicole's hair like at all. I was pretty disappointed. But anyways, so Lana talks to her mom and implies that Her mom was the one that started the rumors about Nicole. There's like a rumor that Nicole faked the pictures and used them to blackmail Chase. And 
Lana basically thinks that her mom is using her power as Congresswoman to spread these rumors and point the investigation in Nicole's direction. Her mom basically says that the investigators have their own reasons for looking at Nicole that have nothing to do with her. Later on, Lana runs into Nicole and Ryan, who is Chase's roommate, and she mentions that she never liked Ryan and she wants to claw her nails into Nicole's face and she can't believe she considered Nicole a friend and let this nerd into her popular world. And she says that no one ever betrayed her until these two. But it's not very clear if she's talking about Nicole and Chase betraying her or Nicole and Ryan betraying her. That's not very clear. But from what I know, I feel like she's talking about Nicole and Chase and their relationship. But when it was said at the time, it makes you think that maybe Ryan's involved somehow. I don't know. She basically admits that she's sad about Chase but she would rather just be mad because that keeps her from falling apart and a Riviera doesn't fall apart. She's like trying to make her mom proud. I guess she's still in the anger phase of the steps of grieving or whatever. So it's the day of the funeral and Chase's dad calls Lana and tells her about how Nicole, when they had the basement meeting, wanted to play at Chase's funeral. And Lana discourages that, and she kind of admits to the audience that, yeah, Chase was obsessed with Nicole's music, but it would be inappropriate for Nicole to play at the funeral. So I guess the dad decides against letting Nicole play. I think it's kind of cool that he even considered it in the first place after accusing her of faking their relationship. Lana talks about there's going to be five speakers at the funeral, Herself, Chase's dad, Chase's little brother, Headmaster Higgins, and Ryan. And then she talks about how she doesn't understand how Ryan even wiggled his way into talking. And I understand she doesn't like Ryan, but what I don't understand is why that would be weird. This is Chase's roommate and his best friend, so obviously. Just Lana complaining about something because she can. Then she drones on about the black Chanel dress she'll be wearing to the funeral. And how beautiful she is and the typical Lana nonsense. We're already getting into Lana being vain in the first chapter of today. Okay, so she, she wonders if Chase thought she was as beautiful in the end as he did in the beginning. I don't know. I don't think, like, her hotness was ever a question. I think it was her personality, but that's just me. They're at the funeral and Lana talks about sitting with her parents and she kind of talks about how her dad's her rocked and really comforting. Her mom's more standoffish, but her mom's really like come through for her during this situation. Anyways, it's just an attempt at character development. So Ryan sits down with her and she hates every second of it. And she's being super rude. And he's basically like, the minister told me to sit up here because I'm a speaker. Get over it. Then Lana is looking around and she notices Brienne and the other orchestra people. But she doesn't see Nicole, so she's relieved, obviously. Then Headmaster Higgins. Headmaster Higgins says her speech, and she reads a condolence letter from the President of the United States. <sighs> I just feel like that's kind of dramatic. I mean, that probably would happen. I don't know. Do you ever hear anything about Congress people's children in the news? Not really. So then it's Lana's turn to speak, and 
she leads with the most uncomfortable thing. She talks about how she imagined being in a church like this one one day with Chase, implying their marriage. I don't know. Why would you share that with a bunch of people you don't even know? And I don't even think it's true. She never talks about being in love with him. I, it's weird. Ugh. Okay. So then she talks about him being an all-star athlete, the handsome son of a congressman, but he meant something different to her. And part of him will always stay in her heart forever. So then she sits down and she wonders what Chase would have thought of the eulogy. And then she thinks that he would laugh at her and say, like, even after death, his spirit can't split itself. And she knows who he would really choose in the afterlife. And this is so sad for Lana that this is her inner dialogue. But then at the same time, throughout the story, his ghost and before his death says basically that that he would choose Nicole over Lana so I don't know it's just am I starting to like Lana please say no I do she has a mini redemption arc it's really makes me uncomfortable okay so uh, Ryan speaks and says that there was a song about love that Chase loved outside of the closed church doors they hear a violin playing it's obviously what's her name boring Nicole Gosh, already forgetting her name. And I only typed it like 15 times this morning while doing my notes. Boring Nicole's out there playing violin. And Lana's thinking someone's going to storm out there and stop her. Or Chase's parents are going to flip out. No one stops her. Everyone's crying. It reminds her of the New Year's Eve party. And Lana finally lets go a little bit and lets allows herself to cry. And she hates that Nicole can still make her cry. Chapter 13, Nicole, and there's no date, and it just starts with a letter, and it's short, so I'm just going to read it instead of trying to summarize it. So it says, Dear Chase, it was the train that brought us together, wasn't it? Before we found ourselves on the same Long Island Railroad heading west, all you were to me was Lana's sweet boyfriend, and I'm sure I was nothing more to you than her violin-playing roommate. But the train exposed everything diving beneath the layers of those roles to who we really are. Do you regret it now? Taking the same train as me? Sometimes I do, only because I never meant to hurt anyone and because now I know what it means to truly hurt myself. I love you still, Nicole. She's like super awkward and it just is foreshadowing. That note doesn't even ever come back around as far as I can tell. So then it goes to March 12th, 2016. This is their junior year because Nicole, as you remember, or as I told you, Nicole's talking in the past. So Nicole's on a train to, okay, first of all, bear with me. I've never been to New York. I don't take public transit. So please forgive me for my lack of knowledge and use of terminology. So I'm just going off of what the book told me. Nicole's on a train from Long Island to Manhattan for her Philharmonic practice. And she sees Chase sitting in front of her. So she goes up and sits next to him. She asks him if Lana knows that he's here. And he says, no, she thinks I'm at soccer practice. He tells Nicole that he's going to the city to surprise Lana or to set up a surprise for Lana. Nicole's talking about her Philharmonic stuff. And he thinks it's cool that Nicole doesn't hide how excited she is and her feelings. And then Nicole immediately thinks back to Lana 
criticizing her, telling her not to be so obvious, and it's not what cool people do, I guess. So then Chase tells her not to change and brushes against her arm, and he gets off at, or he starts to get off at his stop at Brooklyn, and she's like, I thought you were going into the city, he's like, no, I have to do something in Brooklyn, and as we remember, Brooklyn is where his dad was sending this mysterious money that we don't know for what. We find out. It's not a disappointment. It's pretty entertaining, I guess. It's one of the better parts of the book. So anyways, he tells her maybe we can ride back together and they talk about what times they're going to be on the train and she's excited about seeing him again, but she feels bad about it. So then she arrives at practice and she runs into Damien Bell, who is a cello player who basically took Brienne's spot, which I think is kind of weird because then they talk about him. This is his second year doing this. So if Brienne got the spot, she would be taking his spot. But anyways, I digress. He's nice. He tells her not to be nervous, blah, blah, blah. Practice goes well. Let's get back to what we really care about. She's back on the train and she goes to her practice and she tells Chase that she made a friend named Damien And Chase's expression changes, but he keeps smiling. So it makes us think that he may know Damien or there's something more underneath that. There's not. That was totally pointless, but that's what I thought at the time. Chase talks about how he can relate to how she feels about music because of how he feels about soccer and how it's important to find your passion and your tribe of people. And he brushes her arm again. And I feel like this is kind of referring to Lana... Not really having anything, not being like in the arts, not being in AP classes. Like she's just kind of smart and, or not smart. (laughs) She's just kind of pretty and popular and their relationship or even friendship could only be skin deep. There's not really anything more to Lana. So Nicole changes the subject and she asks about, Lana's surprise, like, oh, did it go well in in Brooklyn and, like, planning it or whatever? And he says yes, and he'll tell her more dot, dot, dot when he can. And that's how the chapter ends. All suspenseful. Chapter 14 is Lana's chapter, and it's October 28th, 2016. Lana's thinking about when she first noticed Chase acting differently And she's mad because she confided in Nicole about it. And Nicole told her not to worry about it. And now that Lana's thinking about it, she's basically thinking that's ridiculous because Nicole knew exactly what was going on. Like, what a bad friend. Can't say I disagree with her, though. So Lana is skipping class because she talks about since Chase was found murdered, the class schedule's all messed up. They don't really expect people to go and... She's skipping class and her she gets a text from her mom and her mom asks, are you alone? I'm coming up to your room. So her mom comes up to her room and says they found the murder weapon under the bleachers of the soccer field. And Lana asks, obviously they searched everything. Why are they just finding it now? And her mom doesn't know. Then her mom says that they'll be fingerprinting everyone. And she asks Lana if Lana's going to be okay with that, basically implying that you know, if you did anything, if this is going to be a problem, like, tell me now. Lana asks her mom straight up, do you think I did this? And her mom doesn't answer, but she tells her, don't talk loudly. Like, people could overhear and get the wrong idea. Then, I don't know, change the subject. 
She asks Lana to meet her and Lana's dad for dinner, and Lana says that's fine. Then Lana asks her mom if Nicole will be arrested, and her mom says that she would be surprised if the investigators were looking at anyone other than Nicole, and if the fingerprints are a match to Nicole, Nicole's basically screwed. Lana says her mom doesn't seem confident, and she questions if she should be worried because she doesn't remember certain parts of the night of the party. So later, Lana's not able to go to the dinner with her parents because a security guard dropped off a note in the room, and I'm just going to read it. It says, Due to new key evidence found in the Chase Porter case, we require every student and teacher to be present at dinner tonight. You will be taken in groups of 20 to have your fingerprints scanned, after which time you will be free to return to your meals. We've enlisted security guards to retrieve and escort any student or teacher who fails to show up, so please do us the courtesy of arriving on time. Thank you, Headmaster Higgins. So Lana goes down to the dining hall for fingerprinting, and Officer Simone, who's totally pointless, but I thought I'd say your name because they say it in this part, assigns Lana and her friends, or like her roommate or whoever. I don't know. I didn't even write down their names. Not even important. Officer Simone assigns them to group six, which conveniently happens to be Nicole's group. So they have to go sit at one of the tables and wait their turn till they're called up for their fingerprinting. So she's sitting at a table with Nicole, Nicole's mom, Brianne, her friends, and whoever else. And she's like commenting to us on that Nicole has lost weight. She looks frail and weak. And she wonders if Nicole looks that way from grief or guilt. So then... By the mention of guilt, Lana launches into a backflash of putting a note on a tree. Did you really think I would ever forgive you? What a joke. I hope you're still scared of the woods because no one is coming for you. You're alone, just like you deserve. Then she runs out of the woods. So this is a backflash from when she told Nicole there's a party and Nicole's like wandering around the woods. This is how Nicole gets her scar. Then her... Backlash kind of moves forward to thinking about the first time Nicole walked into the classroom with her scar. And Nicole looked at Lana and then looked away, which made Lana feel like Nicole didn't know it was her or maybe didn't remember the note or the accident. And Lana was relieved because she would have obviously been in huge trouble for it. And then she says, plus Nicole has to realize it was her own fault. I mean, no. Not her own fault that you couldn't handle yourself and had to seek revenge and then she ended up having an accident. Whatever gets you through the day, Lana. Victim, victim, victim. She's kind of a victim, I guess. Ugh, you'll see. Okay, after having these backflashes, Lana feels sick and she wants to leave the dining hall and her friend's like, we can't, we're in line to get fingerprinted, we're up next. So the chapter ends with Lana placing her finger on the scanner and holding her breath. We'll get into the fingerprinting thing and the lingering questions because I'm not amused. Chapter 15, Nicole, March 13th, 2016. Nicole has rehearsal in New York on the weekends and she's surprised to see Chase on the train again. He sits with her and says he heard a song that made him think of her and it's super mushy talks about the song lyrics and finding yourself and all this stuff it's i kind of don't care it's just developing their relationship so they listen to it together and she wonders how he knows her so well because she's just his girlfriend's nerdy roommate 
bold move, Cotton, over here. Okay, so he admits he liked her the first day he saw her in the theater playing when Lana was showing her around the school. But when she pushed him towards Lana, he knew that she wasn't into him. So Nicole says she didn't believe that someone like him would be into her. And the train stops at his Brooklyn stop. So the conversation gets cut off. Before he leaves, he apologizes for freaking her out. She's like, oh, you didn't freak me out, even though he did. And she wishes that, I think she tells him this, that she wishes she would have recognized his attention originally. So the door is starting to close and she says to him, you aren't really going to surprise Lana, are you? And he says no. So Nicole is at practice and she plays super passionately because she's thinking about Chase. And she's also feeling guilty about Lana, but she has to remind herself she doesn't have anything to feel guilty for because she hasn't actually acted on her feelings and she wouldn't hurt Lana. And she decides she doesn't want to pursue the connection she has with Chase. So after practice, the conductor praises her, which I guess is like really a big deal. Like he doesn't usually tell individuals how well they did. And Damien also praises her and they tell her to just keep doing what you're doing, which makes her uncomfortable because what she's doing is wrong, but it's also helping her play better. She's back on the train home and Chase asks her about rehearsal. She says, I want to know what's going on in Brooklyn. And he tells her he doesn't want to keep it hidden anymore. And he asks her, would you consider someone a good person even if they once did something bad? And she says it depends on what the bad thing was. But if they're talking about Chase, then, you know, probably not. It's fine. He says that he wants her to come with him next time he goes to Brooklyn because it's just easier to explain that way. She has to remind him that Lana's his girlfriend and they both shouldn't be keeping a secret from her and that maybe he should just take Lana. So they sit in silence until she asks the question we've all been wondering. If he really did like her when they first met, why did he go out with Lana? Valid question. His answer, not so valid. He says that when Nicole pushed him towards Lana during the meteor shower party, that he had a bruised ego. And Lana's beautiful and she's great. So he knew he'd be considered lucky for dating her. So I guess he just did that. Which, why? Such a dumb reason to date someone. Oh, I have a bruised ego, so now I'm going to go date the hot girl. Like, how does that make any sense? I don't know. He doesn't even talk about trying to make her jealous. It just doesn't. It's a weak reasoning. Especially because they're friends. You're just asking for there to be a problem. So anyways, then he goes on to tell Nicole that she's different. And then she talks about how every time in her life she's been called different. It's been, like, really negative. But this was, like, the highest of compliments. Before they get off the train, Nicole tells him that she'll never forget that day and the song he found for her that made him think of her and everything. And he wants to know why it sounds like a goodbye. And she says, as long as your girlfriend is my friend, we shouldn't be having talks like this. And he says he gets it and he knows she's right. Chapter 16, Lana, October 29th, 2016. It's the first weekend after Chase's death and everything is canceled, including the Halloween festivities. Lana gets special permission to go get lunch with her mom because no one's supposed to be leaving campus and especially not her because she is 
I don't think a person of interest, but she's under investigation somewhat, so they're not supposed to leave. Her mom picks her up from school, and there's paparazzi, and they're asking her a bunch of questions, and she answers with her rehearsed statement, I'm a girlfriend in mourning. I don't know anything about the investigation. All I know is that the boy I love is gone. Please grant me my privacy during this time. Her mom is proud of her, and Lana says almost all of that statement was true. So this makes me think one of two things. Either... The part she lied about is, I don't know anything about the investigation, because she does know things about her mom writing the pictures to TMZ, but most of that information is already out anyways. But I feel like the part that's not true is, all I know is the boy I love is gone. No other time does Lana ever say that she loved Chase. She talks about liking him, she talks about how successful he was and how good he was at soccer, but she never uses the word love, so it makes me feel like her feelings weren't as strong as she had hoped or by that time she had found out about him and Nicole so her feelings were not love anymore. Her mom also in the car to the hotel says you can tell me anything and Lana says she shifts uncomfortably but has nothing to say. Things finally get kind of interesting. They're up in Lana's mom's hotel room because they just cannot get away from the paparazzi. And she tells Lana to look in the hotel closet because she got her new morning clothes because she doesn't own enough black. Lana's in there and her mom is watching like C-SPAN or something. So she knows her mom will be distracted and she sees a duffel bag with Lana's initials on it. So Lana knows it's her duffel bag and that her mom must have swiped it from her dorm room, wherever she lives, her room on campus. So she pulls down the duffel bag and opens it up and there is a bloodstained Kate Spade sweater and it's the one Lana had worn to the party and the sleeves are caked in blood. So she yells for her mom and her mom says that I guess her mom went to her room and was looking for clothes for Lana to wear to the funeral. And when she was going through Lana's closet, she saw this sweater on the floor and grabbed it before the detectives could come and see it when they searched her room. She starts to remember this this party and she remembers Ryan standing behind the kitchen counter serving drinks at the party and that she couldn't find Chase. And then when she does finally find him at the party, she spots him talking to Nicole, even though she, being Nicole, told Chase herself it was over. She never wanted to speak to him again. And then Lana notices that he says something to Nicole that makes Nicole smile. And obviously that like makes her furious. She doesn't really remember the in-between, but she says it's hours later and it's past midnight and her and Ryan are outside arguing and she shows Ryan the blood on her sweater. Ryan drunkenly slurs, what did you do? And Lana snaps out of her memory and tells her mom, I didn't do it. I couldn't have. I was just mad. And her mom tells her no matter what, that she would get Lana out of this, like no matter what really happened. And Lana was like, why would you do that? And she's like, I'm your mom, which I can relate. I don't know. I probably turned my kid in for murder, but you know, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't cover up anything for her. Sorry, Allie, you're on your own. Go ask your dad for bail money. So <laughs> Lana asked her mom if the reason Nicole is a lead suspect is because her mom is like pushing the investigation in that direction. And her mom says, no, 
And then her mom tells Lana that she's going to get rid of the sweater back in D.C. so the detectives won't find it. She's going to go burn it. Then Lana realizes that Ryan saw her with blood on her, but never reported her to the police that she knows of. So she texts him because she wants to find out what he knows, what she did that night, kind of fill in the missing gaps of the party. So she texts him and says, we need to talk. So that's how that chapter ends. Chapter 17, Nicole, April 2nd, 2016. I feel like this is a missed opportunity because she should have put this on April 1st, April Fool's Day, because it starts with Nicole talking about how it was awkward that Lana confided in her about Chase seeming off and not all about Lana. April Fool's Lana, we're in love. Okay, so anyways, Nicole feels guilty even though she kept her promise and hasn't been alone with Chase since the train ride. She does admit that there's still, like, this unspoken connection between them. Because I'm sure they, like, see each other in groups or in classes or whatever. But then she says to the audience she wouldn't even go after Chase if Chase and Lana broke up. Which is obviously untrue. Lana tells her that same day that she can't go to Nicole's showcase because she has to go to tutoring. Which makes sense because she talks about how she's not very good in school. Nicole says it's fine because the entire orchestra, including Brienne, can't go either because they have their own rehearsal, which you're telling me that if someone in your orchestra has this prestigious opportunity that you're not going to like call off rehearsal to go see her perform, they're just trying to get characters out of the way for this next part. So then Nicole kind of mentions that Brienne was sweet about not getting into the Philharmonic, but it has been awkward. So she is kind of relieved that Brienne won't be at the performance. Lana takes the opportunity to point out that Nicole has risen above Brienne socially and that, you know, she should be happy about that. And Nicole feels uncomfortable because she doesn't like being that girl. She doesn't like making Brienne jealous. She doesn't like attracting Chase. That's not how it is. It's not how it's ever been. But at the same time, she doesn't do much to not do that. Okay, we're not going to victim blame here. Okay, April 3rd, 2016. It's still Nicole. She's It's her performance at the Philharmonic. Now, I just want to say that I thought this was an entire orchestra, like 50 plus people. And I asked my husband the same thing. How many people do you think are in this? He said 50. There are 12 performers. I feel like I live under a rock. Like, I don't understand how any of this fancy New York violin stuff works. Anyways, so she's naturally nervous, but she's doing fine. They, like, play their first several songs. And right before... Okay, so backtrack. During practice, she played a version of that song that Chase gave her on the train that made him think of her. And she was so good at practice that her instructor wanted her to play it at the big performance. So right before she was about to play this song that Chase gave her, he walks into the auditorium and she drops her bow. And I guess that's like a huge no-no, super embarrassing thing. Like she is dying on the inside. Damien's looking at her like, what the heck is wrong with you? So she recovers and she plays the song super passionately, super amazingly. And she says like it's partially because Chase is there watching her and that song gains the first standing ovation of the night. So the performance ends and the performers go out to greet everyone in the audience and her mom's hugging her and stuff. And then 
There's a woman from Juilliard who says, oh, we want you for the music division. You'll surely get the Juilliard scholarship. Can I talk to your mom? So then Nicole points this woman in her mom's direction to get the mom out of the way so she can go talk to Chase. That's all that's happening in this book. So Nicole and Chase are talking. She asks him if Lana knows that he's there. She obviously doesn't. He asks her if we could go back to the first time we met, would you make a different choice this time around? And Nicole said, "Do you, are you talking about like if you broke up with Lana? And he's like, yeah, it would suck for all of us, but she'll get over it. Nicole says Chase is the one that Lana wants, so like she won't get over it. And then he's like, well, you're the one I want. You're a breath of fresh air and hearing your music makes me forget about all the bad stuff. She says that she'll consider them like telling Lana the truth about their feelings that apparently just popped up out of nowhere because they haven't been alone together. I'll get into the timeline in my lingering questions. It's a little sketchy, but she'll consider talking to Lana or they will together about their relationship, whatever you want to call it, their feelings. But she wants to know what's going on in Brooklyn first. So he agrees. And then her mom comes up and says that she got the scholarship because that's how scholarships work. You just randomly at the performance, here you go, you have it now. So <laughs> Nicole introduces Chase as her friend and he wants to take Nicole out to celebrate. Her mom says, oh, you have three hours before curfew, so just make sure you get back to the school by then and that's fine. So they go out and we never hear about it ever again. Chapter 18, Lana, October 29th, 2016. Lana is thinking about the first time she thought something was going on between Nicole and Chase. He has a soccer game and she's sitting in the bleachers with Nicole and her friends. And every time he would score a goal, he would look up at Lana. This time he scored a goal and looked up at Nicole. Also, side note before we get into this, she's describing the soccer game. She's talking about how Chase is like the strongest on his team. He's the fastest. So I immediately thought he was going to Brooklyn to get steroids. I was wrong, but just throwing that out there. So anyways, Lana says this was about six months before his death when he looked at Nicole instead of her. And after the game, Lana ran up to him to give him like a hug and a kiss. And he basically like blew her off. He gave her like this super quick hug, wouldn't kiss or whatever. So her mature thought process, instead of being like, what is wrong with you? She decides to be like super loud and obnoxious with her friend, typical Lana style. And then she realizes that he's nowhere to be found and he's not even paying attention to her. And she sees that him and Nicole are off to the side smiling and talking. So then Ryan, Ryan the roommate, walks up to her and says, they sure look happy, don't they? Dang, Ryan, like way to rat out your friend and be a jerk. So she says that she hates Ryan ever since then, which I can't exactly blame her because why? That was so mean. So anyways, Ryan shows up. I can't believe it. I'm feeling bad for Lana and I kind of like her. This is so, ugh. Okay, I feel like I'm having an internal struggle. So (laughs) Ryan shows up. It's present day because she texts him to meet. And she tells him that he looks terrible because, you know, Lana takes every opportunity to criticize someone. Look, I'm back. I don't like Lana anymore. So she asks him if he remembers why she was upset at the party and where the blood came from. And he is like, is this a trick question? Because I was drunk too. And she gets on him. She's like, it's your fault. You made the drinks. Why would you do that? And he basically says, I made the drinks stronger. 
because I wanted everyone to have fun, and she was like, that's really stupid, don't do that again. Because for a while I thought, like, maybe he roofied the drinks. No, he was just dumb, and teenagers can't handle their liquor, apparently. Also, mixing the drinks like he's a bartender, I'm sure it was just, like, vodka orange juice, but I don't know, fancy kids, they might be having, like, full-blown, I don't know, what's a fancy drink? No, martinis aren't even hard to make. Long Island? Uh, Who knows? I, I don't know fancy drinks. I give up. So anyways, he remembered that Lana and Chase had a fight, and then she told Ryan after the fight that it wouldn't surprise her if Chase was responsible for Nicole's scar. And now, present day, she says that she didn't mean that, and he's like, I know. And then... She has a flashback to the woods the night of the party that Chase died at. And she's yelling at Chase for, I'm assuming, him and Nicole talking and stuff. And she throws a rock at him and it hits him in the forehead and his forehead starts bleeding. And she runs up and she uses her sleeves to try to stop the bleeding. And he pushes her away and just says, get out of here. So that explains the blood on her sleeves. And then she tells Ryan that Chase was alive when she left him in the woods. And Ryan says he knows, which how would he know that? But okay. And then he says that they're in this together because he won't tell the police about this fight between her and Chase if she doesn't tell them that he made the drinks at the party, which is super weird because I don't know what the police would do with that information. Like, oh, you got everyone drunk at the party. You guys are all underage. We already knew everyone was drinking anyways. You're not responsible for anything for the drinks being too strong. Even if he got someone super drunk and then they went and murdered Chase, which being drunk is not an excuse for murdering someone, he wouldn't even be held liable. This is so stupid, but whatever. They make a pact. They're not friends, but they're not rats either. So here we are. Chapter 19 gets interesting. Chapter 19, Nicole, April 3rd, 2016, they're in Brooklyn. So Chase takes her to Brooklyn and they're holding hands. And I don't know if they're holding hands because they like each other or because this is like an intense emotional situation because Nicole's pretty adamant about not acting on their feelings before they tell Lana. So anyways... They walk up to Sherlock Holmes' brownstone, and they see a little boy in the window with a cane, and Chase launches into this whole story. So his parents had been fighting a lot, and when he was younger, his dad would take him to this specific pizza place to cheer him up, and he thought he would surprise his dad at work with a pizza, and this is Chase's sophomore year. He opens his dad's office and he catches his dad with one of his dad's workers, Lucy Jensen. And they're like half dressed and they're making out. So Chase, I guess they don't notice him walk in. Chase takes his dad's keys off the desk to like his super fancy car. I didn't write down what kind. His Ferrari, I would assume. And his dad and Lucy finally notice him and he's like calling after him or whatever. But Chase takes off. He takes his dad's car. And he drives to the Jensen's house. Also, side note, he talks about Lucy being one of his mom's friends and having them over for dinner, like Lucy, her husband, and her kids. I'm not really sure how he knows where the Jensen's house is, but he drives there. And he doesn't have a license or anything, so that's not good. But he drives his dad's car to the Jensen's house, and he says, like, I don't know what I was going to do. Maybe I was going to go tell her husband. I was just mad. 
So before he can do anything, he hits something and he calls his dad and says, I hit something like I'm panicked. I shouldn't even be driving. And his dad says, just leave my main assistant or whatever. will take care of this. Later on, Chase finds out that he hit Brady Jensen, who is one of Lucy's sons, who's the same age as Chase's brother, Teddy. He was 10 at the time. Chase's dad paid for Brady's surgeries and stuff and is bribing the family. That's why all that money is going to Brooklyn. He bribed Lucy and her husband to convince their older son, Justin Jensen, to take the fall for hitting Brady. So Justin goes and tells police that he was practicing for his driver's test and accidentally hit his brother. The police found weed in Justin's system and decide to make a example of him and Justin goes to juvie. I don't know why criminal charges were pressed. I feel like it could have been kept between the family. I'm not That part was kind of sketchy. But anyway, so he goes to juvie. Chase says he doesn't know for how long, if he's out or whatever. So Chase felt super guilty about the whole situation. He told his parents, I want to tell, I want to take responsibility for this. And his parents' way of stopping this is to move him to Oyster Bay Prep School, which wouldn't stop him from saying anything, but nice try. So secretly behind his parents' back, Chase volunteers for the physical therapy place that helps Brady. Brady lives with his aunt and uncle, and Chase uses a fake name so no one knows it's him. Oh, so the little boy obviously up in the window with the crutch little tiny Tim up there in the window is Brady. Chase apologizes to Nicole, and he understands if she doesn't want anything to do with him. And she says that she sees someone who made a mistake but is doing everything to make it right, and then they hold hands and like comforting him and she says she'll be by his side when he tells the truth this is important later on so keep that in mind then they get on the train to ride home and someone in the back is playing guitar and plays their song or one of their songs when the train bumps her and she falls into him and he puts his arm around her and there's a kiss situation but she instead lays her head on his shoulder because she doesn't want their first kiss to be behind lana's back Chapter 20, Lana, October 29th, 2016. Lana goes to the woods to retrace her steps from the party because she feels like she's missing something. While she's out in the woods, there's a text from one of her friends that says there's a new lead on Nicole because they found something on Nicole's computer. She ignores it and she keeps going until she sees the caution tape of where his body was found. And she hears a voice calling her name several times. And she's like, it's just in my head. Like, I'm just freaked out. She turns around and screams and has an actual normal reaction to Ghost Chase. She's like, I don't believe in ghosts. You can't hurt me. You aren't real. I hate every second of this. He says something that makes zero sense. He says, even if you're right and I'm only in your mind, I can still be real. That's the definition of not being real. It's only in her mind. That was so pointless. Ugh. Ghost Chase. You know how I feel. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. So she's just like, I'm sorry that you were murdered and I'm sorry I hit you with a rock, but you can't blame me. And she's basically like, why aren't you on the other side? Like, if you're really a ghost, shouldn't you not be here? And then he says that she sounds awfully like a lot like someone who wanted him gone. And she's like, no, I just don't believe in ghosts. And this is stupid, basically. 
He tells her he can't move on until he knows she's okay and Lana should help. And Lana is mad. She's like, it's always about Nicole, isn't it? Now you're trying to make me help your girlfriend that you cheated on me with? This is ridiculous. And I agree. Uh, So then he says to Lana, he says, you told someone where I was that night after our fight. Who did you tell? Which is weird because they don't go into huge detail, but... They were at the party, and I'm assuming they went outside the house to have this argument. It's not like he would have been hard to find. Like, he probably was just on the property. He's asking who she told. Yeah, Chase is on the third tree to the right in case you want to go murder him. So Lana thinks back to the party, and all she can remember is Ryan pouring drinks, Nicole and Chase talking in the corner, the fight where she throws a rock, and then running back to the house. Nicole and Lana had matching sweaters that Lana gave Nicole for Christmas her Kate Spade sweater. And Lana talks about how Nicole wasn't wearing that earlier at the party that night and must have changed into a matching sweater like just to get at her, just to make her mad. So as she's running, she sees the back of Nicole in this sweater and she yells, you can have him, you bitch. And then she runs into Ryan back at the party. But she says earlier that her and Ryan are the only ones left at this party. I don't know where everyone else went. And if that was true, why was Nicole standing there? But anyways, timeline's a little sketchy. So she runs into Ryan back at the house, who calms her down and takes her back to campus. And she's frustrated that she can't think of anyone other than Nicole and Ryan that she told that she talked to after this fight with Chase. And when she opens her eyes from trying to remember, Chase, Ghost Chase is gone. Chapter 21, Nicole, May 13th, 2016. This might be my favorite part because Lana has some really good singers in this part. I can't believe how much I like Lana. Like, it's tearing me apart. Okay, so Chase and Nicole have decided that they're going to tell Lana that they're in love. And the whole first part of the chapter is just Nicole being nervous and talking about how she can't focus class, blah, blah, blah. Chase and Alana are sitting on a picnic bench outside and Nicole walks up to meet them. Alana's like, what are you doing here? And Nicole's like, didn't Chase tell you? And then they sit down and they tell her the whole thing about their connection on the train and how they were like falling for each other and how they're in love. Lana slaps Nicole across the face, which I mean, get it girl. So then Nicole is like, we didn't even kiss. Like, he didn't actually cheat on you. And Lana says, my favorite line of the whole book, you expect me to thank you for not kissing my boyfriend. You are so right, Lana. Don't pretend like you're doing me a favor because you didn't make out with my boyfriend. Also, throughout this whole section, Chase, like, keeps trying to defend Nicole. And Nicole's like, that will only make things worse. Lana's going to be mad if you pick me over her, which isn't that the whole point of the conversation. But anyways, Chase brings up Brooklyn, but he doesn't explain the whole situation. And he says, it's going to come out anyways. And Lana is lucky not to be with him when all this comes out. And I'm thinking, so what does that say about Nicole? Like, you're lucky not to be with me. So you don't have to deal with all this fallout. Sorry, Nicole, I can't wait to put you through hell. Like, that's so weird. And, and Nicole's sitting right there. But anyways, Lana also makes another valid point. She's like, that should have been my choice of whether I want to deal with this Brooklyn situation or not. So then, since this is Nicole's chapter, she says something really unfair. I can't believe I'm about to defend Lana in this. 
But she says that she can see what's truly bothering Lana. It's not the thought of losing Chase. It's the thought of losing a troll and it's the idea of losing him specifically to Nicole. I feel like that's kind of unfair. Like, I'm sure that's true. But, like, don't you think Lana would be mad or any normal person would be mad if you found out your boyfriend was in love with someone else while dating you in the first place? I just felt like that was kind of unfair. And it's kind of like, Nicole, you think you're all that now all of a sudden? They'll cheat with you. They'll cheat on you. I'm just saying, life lesson. Or they'll get murdered. Either way, it's not a great outcome. So Lana is super mad and she says that she rescued Nicole from her nerdy life and gave her a social life and that Nicole wouldn't even know Chase if it wasn't for her. Which is not true because, I mean, I guess their first meeting was during when Lana was giving him a tour, but I feel like they would have met at some point, that was just kind of an invalid point, but I get she's mad, so I'll cut her some slack for once in her life. So Chase, ah, this is really mean too. I feel so bad for Lana. Chase says to Lana, well, our parents are the reason we're even together, which is so not fair because they both admit, if you remember from last episode, they both admit that their parents wanted them to date, and then they both agree that they like each other, so they're going to give their parents what they want. So I think it's really unfair for him to come up now and is like, well, we're just together because our parents wanted us to be. And then Lana says that, she goes, I thought this was real. And he says, it was, but I just... And Lana cuts him off and says, you just like her more. Which, oh, Lana, girl, I feel so bad for her. Like, this is not fair. Then she says, do you realize every guy in school is going to think you're blind and dense? Like basically calling Nicole ugly and that he's an idiot for wanting to date a nerd. See, like, I feel for you, Lana. Like, you you have every reason to be upset. But then you go on and be like, you're dating a nerd. How dare you? I don't know. She, I kind of go back and forth. Keep it above water. Keep it above the line there, Lana. So then Nicole's basically like, what do you want me to do? I'll do anything. How about you don't cheat? Don't steal my boyfriend. So Lana says, uh, abandon this plan to betray me and you can stay away from me and my boyfriend and get yourself a new roommate. So apparently Lana's like, we're not breaking up. You're still my boyfriend. So Nicole is like, uh, I got to get out of here. And she's like, no, don't. And then Nicole literally runs away. She just goes and runs. She waits at their room for Lana, but Lana never shows up. And she gets a text from Chase that says, meet me under the wooden bridge by the pond. I'm sorry, the pond? I thought there was a river going under it. Where is this bridge? And then he talks about it being by the soccer field. So it's not even like a secret spot. Ugh, the bridge. Okay. So she gets to the bridge and he tells her that he broke up with Lana and she's pissed. So he offered to keep the breakup a secret until she's ready to tell people. And that him and Nicole will have to like be low key about dating. And he asks Nicole if she regrets any of this. And she says she regrets hurting Lana, but not them being together. And then they make out and it's intense. Part three. Oh, so we made it through part two. So we're in the final part of the book. Part three is Nicole and Lana and both their perspectives are present day. Chapter 22, Nicole, October 26, 2016. We're back at the bridge that the voice told her to go to with the knife. And drum roll, who is at the bridge? It's Ghost Chase. How disappointing. Womp womp. 
Okay, so he's there, and she's like, how are you here? And he says, I fight off the light, and I choose to be with you instead of going to the light, and I'm able to be here for a short amount of time. He wants to know that she's going to be okay before he goes. She touches his cold ghost face. He apologizes for everything and asks her to forgive him. And then she's like, no, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Oh, we love each other. Okay, whatever. So then she says that Ryan had texted her to come to the party, and she was afraid and excited because if they got close again, she was worried that something bad would happen, like the accident that gave her her scar. He says that she, he thought that she didn't remember the night of her scar, and she says she doesn't, but she remembers feeling like they were both in danger as long as they were together, which they explain that more. She feels bad that she left the party after they talked, and he says that he's glad they left because they both could have been dead, and he's glad that like she's the one that survived. So she tells him about the knife that was planted in her room, and he wants to hold it, and he's like moving it across him. It's really weird. So then he tells her to get rid of it where it can't be tracked, so we already know that she puts it under the bleachers of the soccer field, or it can't be tracked back to her. So then she tells him that she thought about the earlier days, like he asked, and that brought her to their trip to Brooklyn and asks if it was Jensen. Jensen. Oh, Jensen's the last name. What's his name? Jared Jensen. Going with Jared. If it could have been his revenge and Chase says maybe or someone else and he disappears. A lot of help you are, ghost Chase. We're still on Nicole and it's October 29th, 2016. Nicole wakes up and her lawyer is saying that the police found an email that she composed the day Chase died in her dress folder. Basically, it said that she would never forgive him and she wishes he was dead, which we obviously know is not true because she just had this conversation with Ghost Chase and they forgive each other. She says she never wrote it and that she's being set up and her lawyer's like, that's not all. They found a bloody sweater. So they say that they found her bloody sweater and her hair was on it and it matches the DNA, her DNA. And so they should prepare for the worst. So at this point, we're thinking, did Lana's mom plant the sweater that they're matching sweaters with like the blood on it? Chapter 23. From this point out, the chapters move pretty quickly. So chapter 23, we're almost at the end. Lana, October 30th, 2016. The cops kick her door in and handcuff her and arrest her. Just kidding. It's just a dream. None of that ever happened. So Lana can't sleep because of this dream and it's 2 a.m. And she gets a text from her mom to turn on the news. So she's Googling the news and she sees a video and it's Nicole being, a.k.a. the girl in the picture, Nicole Morgan being taken into custody and Nicole saying she didn't do it and she's being set up and she knows exactly who, but then her lawyer cuts her off. So there's a news report and I'm just going to read it real quick. The girl in the picture has been arrested in connection with the murder of Chase Porter. While much was made of the murdered weapon being tested for fingerprints on Friday, no match was found on the knife itself. However, an anonymous tip revealed a sweater from the night of Mr. Porter's death, stained with his blood and carrying hairs belonging to Miss Morgan. So that's basically why she was arrested. So Lana says to us that, yeah, she wanted Nicole gone, but this doesn't feel right. She calls her mom and she asks her mom if she turned in the sweater and her mom said, no, it'd be way too risky to turn in Lana's sweater because it would have Lana's DNA on it too. And that Nicole is guilty and Lana should just accept that. 
So then Lana gets a text from Ryan. He is like, can you believe this? This is crazy. Can we meet up? I just want to be around someone that was close to Chase. Like, this is this is too much for me. So at this point, I start questioning him. Like, who knows? Maybe Ryan had feelings for Chase and one of the girls out of the way. I don't know. I, I thought that was kind of sketchy because he knows that Lana, like, openly hates him. Lana agrees to meet up with him. I don't really know. I'm not really sure why she agrees to that, but she does. So she meets him at this diner off campus, because I guess they're allowed to go within two miles of campus or something. So they go to this diner, and Ryan, the roommate, says he feels bad about making the strong drinks at the party, and he feels like he's responsible for this. Which, what does that have to do with anything? No one even said that Nicole was drunk at the party. Like, Nicole tells us that, but Lana and Ryan wouldn't have known. So then, throughout this section, Lana talks about that she perceives that Ryan's hitting on her. And I think he's just being nice, and it's an awkward situation. But, of course, she has to think everyone thinks she's hot and amazing. Like, I don't really see Ryan being interested in Lana when his roommate being Chase and stuff. One of her reasons for thinking he's into her is because he goes to the bathroom and he leaves her his wallet and says she can get whatever she wants. He's just a nice person, Lana. You wouldn't know what that is because you're not one. See, now I'm back to not liking her. Anyways, Lana goes up to the counter to order a milkshake and she over, she well, she sees Brienne sitting in like a corner booth behind a Christmas tree and she overhears Brienne furiously talking on the phone. Brienne says... You can actually say that after everything I've done for you. No, you can't when I risked everything. So we dot, dot, dot. She gets cut off because whoever is on the other line hung up on her. So at this point, I immediately go back in the book and I look up her ex-boyfriend's name, the one that she would meet at summer camp and then broke up with her. In that part of the book, she refers to him as JJ. So I'm thinking Justin Jensen who, as you know, took the fall for Chase for hitting his little brother. So Ryan comes out of the bathroom and Lana's like, shut up, we're going to follow Brienne because this stuff is weird. And Ryan's like, dur, 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 okay, I don't know what's going on. I'm just a stupid boy. So Brienne starts walking back to school and Lana's like pulling Ryan behind dumpsters and behind buildings every time she thinks Brienne's going to look back at them. It's not that big of a deal. Like, if you're walking back to school, couldn't you just pretend that you and Ryan are walking back, too? Anyways, throughout this walk back, Brienne is, like, wailing and making, like, animal noises. She's just mad. And then she just furiously throws her phone into a dumpster. So Lana says to Ryan, you said you wanted to be friends. Well, now here's your chance. We need to dumpster dive for that phone. And that's how that chapter ends. Chapter 24, Nicole, October 30th, 2016. Nicole is in her jail cell and Mrs. Porter, Chase's mom, comes storming into the jail cell and she grabs Nicole's hands from behind the bars and is digging her nails into Nicole's palms. And she's yelling, is this your idea of revenge? And Nicole tells her, like, I'm innocent and I would never hurt your son. And then a memory comes back to Nicole and it's from when Nicole was in the hospital when after she got her scar, when she was recovering from it. And she remembers Mrs. Porter whispering in her ear, stay away from my son. So the guard pulls them apart and tells Mrs. Porter, like, this is unacceptable behavior and escorts her out. And as she's 
leaving. She's yelling, she murdered my son, I can do whatever I want. And Nicole, like, stumbles backwards and sits down and she has a backlash. The backlash is May 31st, 2016. It's their junior year. Lana approaches Nicole at lunch and asks to talk privately. And Brienne gives Nicole, like, a disapproving look. But Nicole goes anyways because she wants to be friends with Lana. This is after Nicole and Chase told Lana they were in love. So Lana says, I don't hate you. I'm still really upset. I'm not ready to tell everyone about Chase, but I want to try to be friends again. There's a masquerade party I'm throwing in the woods. It's just going to be girls, and I want you to come. So Nicole hates the woods, but she agrees to go because she wants to be friends with Lana. So Nicole's in the woods looking for the party. We talked about this in episode one. And she reads the sign that Lana talks about earlier in this episode. Did you really think I would forgive you? That whole note. So then Nicole realizes the note was fake. She's super upset. An owl swoops down, scares her. She starts running. She hits her shin on a stump and falls backwards off a small cliff. And then she remembers the earth scratching her face and she hits her head on a rock and she's knocked unconscious. So that's insane. So she wakes up at the hospital and she doesn't, she doesn't know where she's at, but like from the description, we know she's in the hospital and a strange woman's in her room holding her hand. The woman holding her hand is Chase's mom. She says, I know about you and my son, and it needs to stop. I know what you're pushing him to do, and if you think you can destroy my family, you're severely mistaken. Stay away from him, and if you tell another soul or anyone knows about the car accident, my husband and I will make sure you never speak again. And then Chase's mom just leaves. Holy moly, like death threats. Crazy. These people are crazy. Corruption. Okay, so then... Nicole passes back out and when she wakes up, her mom's there and Nicole's freaking out because she's like, what's wrong with me? Will I ever be able to play violin again? And her mom says, no, you're fine. And she's like, I want to see my violin. I want to know for sure. And her mom's like, well, good thing Chase brought it. So Chase is there with flowers and her violin. And she tells him, I think I dreamt about your mom or maybe she was here. I'm not really sure. And he says, oh, you were just thinking about that because we were supposed to meet her for dinner. She tells... Chase, can't see you anymore. You need to go back to Lana. Satine style from Moulin Rouge. She's like, just get out of here. I don't love you. It was all a show or whatever. And he's all like, thank you for curing me from my ridiculous obsession with love. Okay, not really. So she's like, I don't love you. You need to go back to Lana. This is not a good idea. And she turns away so he knows she's serious And when she opens her eyes again, he's gone. All that's left is the flowers that he brought her. Now we're back in her cell. And she says she has an idea who or what might have happened to Chase. And there's only one person that can help her prove it. And it's not the cops. Because how could the cops possibly do their job? We're getting to the end. This part's pretty cray-cray. If you haven't figured it out already, come on. I feel like a couple of you out there know what's going on. Okay. Chapter 25, Lana, October 31st, 2016. Lana meets Nicole at the jail because Nicole called her and tells her about, well, one, she tells her she remembers the note in the woods and Lana's like, oh, I thought you didn't know. And she's like, oh, it's all coming back. It's all coming back to me now. Okay. Anyways, she's like, you know, I remember it, but I'm not mad. I forgive you. Whatever. I know it was an accident. And then Lana's like, it was an accident. I would have never put that note up if I knew you are going to fall off a cliff. Like, well, duh, she's not a freaking monster. Okay, so anyways, Nicole tells Lana about Chase's mom threatening her in the jail. 
and how she threatened her after her accident. And Nicole tells Lana that she thinks that Chase's mom might have killed Chase out of anger or on accident or she just snapped. And Lana's like, well, that woman lives and breathes for him, so that's a stupid theory. Here's my theory that actually makes sense. She tells Nicole that she overheard Brienne talking on the phone and they went and got the phone out of the dumpster and that it was a disposable phone and she Lana called the number back and it was the voicemail of Justin Jensen. Nicole recognizes the name and puts together that she explains this to Lana, but she puts together that Brienne and JJ must have broken up when Justin went to jail because of the same person, obviously. Lana then talks about seeing Nicole at the party wearing the same sweater, the one with the blood on it, and asked Nicole if she had changed like mid-party, I guess. Then Lana's like, did Brienne ever have access to your clothes? And Nicole's like, yeah, I'd let her like borrow my stuff whenever she wanted. And she knew where we hid our spare key to our room under our doormat. The guard comes to tell them like their time's almost up. So Lana tells her she learned a few things from her mother. And if Brienne really did this, she might be able to trick her into a confession. Here we go. In case you couldn't tell, I guessed this. Episode one. I swear I didn't read ahead. Lana invites Brienne over to her room under the pretense that Lana's mom needs someone to perform now that uh, at like an event now that Nicole's in jail. Lana tries to play like buddy buddy with her and she's like, oh, I think it was brilliant that you framed Nicole for Chase's murder. And Brienne's like, what are you talking about? I didn't do anything. And Lana's like, oh, no, it was like so great about how you like her sweater with the blood on it. And you like made that fake email like that was great. And then Brienne goes off the rails and she's like, Chase ruined everything. Justin broke up with me and then disappeared for a year and I never got over it. And then she said that two weeks ago, Justin came to visit her and told her everything about the bribe and him taking the fall for Chase. And Brienne wanted to start back up with Justin, but his parents had figured out how to give him a fresh start in Canada. So Brienne offered to go with him and he said, no, I'm going to Canada by myself. He probably knew she was psycho and this was just like a good reason to break up with her. But anyways, he said he just came to give her closure. Like, Don't do that. Don't. I mean, it's fine to give someone closure, but like, don't say that. Anyways, she tells Lana that she didn't plan on killing Chase. She just took the kitchen knife to scare him. She wanted Chase to tell the truth to the police that like so Justin his record would be expunged and he wouldn't have to leave and they could be together and as soon as she brought it up to Chase in the woods Chase admits everything and she says she just snapped and she doesn't even remember the blade going in Lana she's being a boss and she's like okay so tell me about how you framed Nicole Brienne's like I'm not an idiot I knew to hold the knife with a napkin to not get my fingerprints on it and she said she didn't plan on framing Nicole but she had to protect protect herself and Nicole was the obvious target to frame and she said she knew about Nicole and Chase because it was obvious and she knew that Lana had had a falling out with Chase. Brienne said she had to put herself first and of all people Nicole should understand because she always put herself first and she takes everything like the Philharmonic, the Juilliard scholarship, and Lana's boyfriend. So then Lana's like now and the police busted and she reveals that she recorded the whole confession on her phone and then detective kim kimball and officer Ladge badge arrest brianne and then come on kimball 
Kimball tells Lana, you did a good thing, and because of you, an innocent girl is being set free. No, Detective Kimball, because of you, an innocent girl was in jail in the first place because you didn't know how to do your job, and you were biased, and you thought she was a suspect in the first place. Okay, that really made me mad. But anyways, Lana tells us she's going to let all this go for good, and she's glad that she helped Nicole. Chapter 26, Nicole, November 1st, 2016. Nicole's leaving the prison, and she sees, because they're releasing her, because obviously she didn't do it, and she sees Brienne fighting and screaming as they take her back to her cell. And then there's cameras outside, and Nicole makes a statement. She says, there's so many stereotypes about me, but they weren't true, and I made the mistake of judgment, too, because my closest friend did this to me, and the person I least expected to help me prove my innocence. And then she publicly thanks Lana. And then she tells them that she's determined to be known for the right things, her music. And then she said she feels a breeze wrap around her and she knows it's Chase saying goodbye. Oh, I'm so glad the ghost gets a happy ending. The epilogue. That's Chase's part. So Chase says he went into the light and he's like kind of tortured though because he thinks about how different things would have been if he would have just told the truth about the car accident from the beginning. But then he says he would have never been transferred to Oyster Bay and he would have never met Nicole. And then he says that, like, he watches over Nicole and he hears her play her songs and she has, like, a musical career and she still plays their songs and she knows it's for him. And one day, many years from now, I know we'll be together again. Until then, I wait and I listen. And that's how the book ends. We did it. We made it through the book. On a scale from one to ten, I would rank it about a meh. I don't know. We'll get into my lingering questions. My lingering question. This is a repeat question. Why did Chase and Lana stay together after the hospital incident? Like, I get that Nicole said, oh, go back to Lana. That doesn't mean he actually had to do it. And, oh, his ego was hurt again, so he's going to go date the hot girl. Also, I don't really understand why Lana stayed with him after that. Because as far as we know, they never, ever officially broke up in the eyes of everyone at the school. And so Lana just said, okay, I guess we can like fake be together. That was never very clear to me. So my next question is, Chase and Nicole dated for how long? I looked. Two weeks. Two weeks is all they were together. And they're in love and they're like the best couple ever. This doesn't make any sense. Okay, April 3rd, they're, they do the book, the Brooklyn trip. And that's when they're like kind of deciding they're going to tell Lana, but they don't ever act on it. And it doesn't even seem like they spend that much time together. Then May 13th is when they tell Lana that they're in love. May 31st is when she has her accident and they break up. So they're literally together for two weeks. Also, I want to know what happened after the Philharmonic performance. And I want more details on their first date where they take the pictures that are talked about in the book. Like, I need more character development. I need to know why they're in love. I need to know why I should care. That was one that really bothered me, in case you can't tell. My next question is, what was the point of Damien Bell? They talk about him being, like, Brienne's replacement, and they talk about him a lot in the last two sections, and he's literally pointless. He's just one of her friends at this Philharmonic thing. What happened to Chase's dad's career and his family, and what happened to the Jensen family? Because... Obviously, in Brienne's confession, she talks about the whole thing with Chase's accident and the bribery and everything. So obviously that had to have come out. So I feel like their families are just completely ruined. And I don't know, maybe Chase's mom became like a serial killer because she obviously has it in her. This was kind of annoying. Maybe I'm just nitpicking, but Chase 
in the very, very beginning, before he dies, he says he remembers lips on lips and the sound of her voice calling after me and then the blade, the sharp blade before it all goes black. Never talks about him kissing anyone at the party and the, her calling his name or whatever, that's his fight with Lana. So I'm like, I don't know. I feel like the author almost forgot to write that him and him and Nicole kissed at the party or something. So this is a big one. This, 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 uh, really bothered me. Okay. So I want to know how premeditated the murder slash framing of Nicole was because Brienne claims that she was just going to scare him and she didn't plan any of this, but she was wearing the sweater at the party, which seems like a, that was like a premeditated setup of either Nicole or Lana since they had a ma matching sweater. She just coincidentally wore that sweater at the party. I don't think so. She didn't get super drunk at the party when everyone else can't even remember stuff. So I feel like she had a thought of like, I can't be drunk. I have to be controlled to be able to do this. She cut his throat. If she was just doing this out of rage, you would think she would have like lunged at him and stabbed him in the torso or something. No, this said it slit him across the throat. Like someone coming up behind you and slitting, slitting their throat. Like that part was not super clear. I also want to know when she got prepaid phone if that was something she got afterwards to talk to JJ or if this was like in the two weeks before after he came and saw her so she took the knife to confront him but she also knew to hold the handle with a napkin that's premeditated right there she didn't want her fingerprints on it if she was just going to threaten him and he was never going to get hurt it wouldn't matter if her fingerprints were on it because it would never have been fingerprinted in the first place okay so this part I literally raged about this for like a half hour last night while talking to my husband why the frick did they make such a big a deal like chapters on chapters about this fingerprinting lana's mom's like are you okay with fingerprinting they take them into the cafeteria or the dining hall to do the fingerprinting everyone thinks he's gonna call back with nicole and then they say uh there was no fingerprints on the knife there was no fingerprints on the knife so the police would not have been doing fingerprinting ever at all and we know brianne even says i i'm not an idiot i didn't get my fingerprints on the knife i wiped it why why did you waste my time Ugh, okay so my next question is how involved in this murder was jj now i'm assuming jj did not want her to kill chase because he it's pretty clear he doesn't want anything to do with her but he definitely knows that she did it so why didn't he come forward to the police or tell someone or maybe he just doesn't care or he doesn't want to get in more trouble but that was kind of left open-ended for me and then my final question is what became of lana no one ever talks about her. She's just like, okay, I'm going to get over this. Okay, bye. Like, did she become an investigator? Because she's apparently pretty good at it. Did she become a congressperson like her mom? Did she ever befriend Nicole? Like, no one cares about her. She's like a throwaway. And I'm like, you give her a comeback arc and then you don't finish it. Those are my lingering questions. Love to hear yours. If you have any lingering questions or you want to discuss the book, I'm on Instagram at the Jolly Reader Podcast. So you can follow me there. You can send me private messages. You can comment on pictures. I'm really excited to hear what you all have to say. Also, I'm open to book suggestions. This one I found off of just like it was a New York bestseller and a lot of people said they liked it. I personally, not for me, not my favorite book, not enough character development. And obviously I predicted who did it after part one, like kind of accidentally, but I was pretty on point with her motive and stuff too. So I'm looking for something a little more that's going to challenge me more, give us a little more to talk about. For my next book, 
I'm going to read Two Can Keep a Secret. It's by Karen M. McManus. I previously read, before I started this podcast, I read One of Us is Lying, and I really, really enjoyed that book. It also has a sequel, which I haven't read, but I own. I just haven't gotten around to it. So I already know I like this author. This book has gotten raving reviews. It's one of her new books. So to give you a sneak peek, I'm going to read the inside cover in a super dramatic fashion. Echo Ridge is small town America. Ellery's never been there, but she's heard all about it. Her aunt went missing there at age 17. And only five years ago, a homecoming queen put the town on the map when she was killed. Now Ellery has to move there to live with a grandmother she barely knows. The town is picture perfect, but it's hiding secrets. And before school even begins for Ellery, someone declares open season on homecoming, promising to make it as dangerous as it was five years ago. Then, almost as if to prove it, another girl goes missing. Ellery knows all about secrets. Her mother has them, her grandmother does too, and the longer she's in Echo Ridge, the clearer, clearer it becomes that everyone is hiding something. The thing is, secrets are dangerous, and most people aren't good at keeping them which is why in Echo Ridge, it's safest to keep your secrets to yourself. So I'm really excited to get into this book, and I'm interested to read something that's from one person's perspective. So I hope you guys can get excited about that, and I will start that book. We'll probably do about half of it again, probably do it in two parts again, in two weeks. So until then, find me on Instagram, at the Jolly Reader Podcast. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you can get notifications for the newest episodes. And please, please, please share, share with your friends, share with your family, share with anyone that you think might like this. If you're on Apple Podcasts, leave me a review. I'd love to hear what you think. Tune in in two weeks for the first part of Two Can Keep a Secret. Also, if you stay till the end, I'm sure I'll have some outtakes for you. So, and until we sail again, this has been the Jolly Reader. Bon voyage. you made it to the outtakes get ready because here we go testing how's my mic doing am i being crazy if i talk this loud will it screw everything up i'm gonna try not to say like and or whatever a million times because it's gonna mess up my editing make it take forever patchy what are you doing in here okay let's check this she's still in the anger phase of the Steps of grieving or whatever. Or whatever. Lana. I don't know. I keep getting them confused. Okay. Restart this section. And I also feel like I'm talking into the mic too loud. So. Scrolling a little weird today. Okay. They're at the funeral. Why is this so loud when I'm recording? This is too loud. Okay. Okay. So. uh, Um, let me scroll. Okay. I feel like I'm talking really loud today. And I kind of feel like he's referring to, there's a fly in here again. Get out of here. It's buzzing all around me. It's going to drive me crazy. Okay. Is it? Oh my gosh. I'm going to kill this fly. Pause. The fly has met its end. Sorry, PETA. Also, I want to make it clear my house isn't nasty. It's just when I let the dogs in and out, uh, like, flies will come in. We live by woods. But anyways. Okay. So let's scroll down so we can do the next chapter. Oops, too far. Oh my gosh, who keeps calling? 
Toto. That's weird. Pause. And everything. So she's skipping class. I just hit my mic. Sorry. Okay, where am I at? Oops. Should probably mute this. Just in case. You're sure in. Sure win? What's the word? Like, he has a soccer game and she's sitting in the, in the audience. Pews. What? Is, uh, bleachers. The cock. The. Wow. <laughs> Nope. Okay. The the cops. Wow. Patchy's barking one time. That's it. Okay. I am Allie, and you are with me to my mom.